Hi guys, and welcome back to the Mystery and Comedy Old Time Radio Podcast. Please welcome to the show to chill our spines for our past Tuesday's performance. Mr. Boris Karloff, Mr. Bella Lugosi, and Mr. Vincent Price in The Monsters Tell the Story. In this first episode starring Mr. Boris Karloff, who is best known for portraying Frankenstein in the 1931 classic movie, we welcome Mr. Boris Karloff to the microphone as he reenacts from the Inner Sanctum Mystery performance, The Singing Walls. In this episode, a man kills his wife and buries her within the wall of their home and he is haunted by her singing his name and goes and tries to find out why she won't stop tormenting him and in the second episode starring Mr. Bella Lugosi he plays a man who is a mad doctor who has injected people with rabies and dog saliva to see if they would transform into hideous ugly beast and the title of that is called the Bella Lugosi Mystery Theater and it is called The Thirsty Death. And in this final episode starring Mr. Vincent Price, it is one of the most horrifying and suspenseful episodes that I personally have ever heard. I first heard it on the Suspense Old Time Radio Show which you guys could go check out. It is called The Skeleton Key. Actually, Three Skeleton Key. You may remember Vincent Price as the man called The Invisible Man in 1932 and Mr. Bela Lugosi, who also played Dracula in 1931. In this, Mr. Vincent Price plays a man who works as a lighthouse keeper. And one day, him and his crew are working their shift at the lighthouse one night. When all of a sudden, a ship crashes into their reef into the embankment where their lighthouse is and they are swarmed by hundreds and thousands of sea rats if you guys are squeamish like I am towards mice and rodents please don't listen to this episode but I hope you guys enjoy Mr. Vincent Press's performance and Mr. Bella Lugosi and Mr. Boris Karloff in the monsters tell the story if you like the show please comment and subscribe guys 
and enjoy the show. Thanks. Is not in his room. The window is open from the bottom. 
Yes, I'm sure he did. There's a letter. I know, but I'm sure he's not alive. Oh, the, the letter? Yes, I'll, I'll read it to you. Uh, to whom it may concern. By the time, By the time you, you read, read this, this, I shall, I shall be, be dead. dead. There can be no mistake this time. Death holds no fear, no terror any greater than what I've endured in life. For the past 40 years, I've searched for freedom. I hope now I've found it. Even now, as I write, I can hear her voice calling to me as she did that night years ago. I'd prepared everything while she was in bed. Just the last few minute little details had to be completed. Gabriel! Gabriel, do you hear me? What do you want? What are you doing down there? I'm... I'm fixing something. Well, why don't you come up? I don't want to be alone here. I can't bear to be alone. Come up, Gabriel. What's the matter with you? Why don't you answer me? Oh, you're just doing it for spite. I know you are. Stop that hammering, Gabriel. You know I can't bear that noise. Now stop it, please. Gabriel, will you stop that noise? Oh. You came down. Well, of course I came down. Did you expect me to lie there while all this racket was going on? Now, you know I'm a sick woman, Gabriel. What are you doing there, anyhow? You can see. Well, yes, I can see, but it doesn't make any sense to me. Oh, you've made a huge gaping hole in the wall. Now, what on earth did you want to do a thing like that for? You'll find out soon enough. And, and what are all those things? Stonemason's tools, cement. Plaster. Well, I never dreamed you knew how to use them. Oh, I'm going back to bed. No, Agnes. No? No. Gabriel, that rope in your hand. Yes. I thought carefully about this rope, Agnes. It's the most merciful way. It leaves a little trace since there's no blood. Gabriel. You won't make it difficult, will you, Agnes? Murder. It's the only way. No, Gabriel. We couldn't go on like this. Your imaginary illnesses, your constant nagging. I, I have to be free of them, Agnes. But murder? This is best for both of us. No, Gabriel. Send me away. Do anything you want. You can get a divorce. A divorce there, see? That would solve everything. You could have your freedom. Stand there, Agnes. Just as you are. I know. That other woman, Dorothy Carter, that actress. That's why you're doing this. Oh, you thought I didn't know about that, Gabriel. Well, I do. Yes, I do. there and carefully seal it up. I work quickly, skillfully, with infinite care. First the bricks, one on top of the other, then the plaster, then the wallpaper to match the rest of the room. That wasn't very difficult. In a short time it was done. I was free. All I had to do now was to go to the police and report her missing. It was even simpler than I'd thought. I put on the coat. I was about to open the front door 
When I heard it for the first time, I thought it must be my imagination. I listened carefully. I rushed to the wall, put my ear to it. What I heard made icy perspiration ooze out of every part of my body. The wail was coming from the wall. It was like the insane shriek of some creature of another world. Was she alive in there? She couldn't be. She was dead. I knew she was dead. And yet I heard her voice waving. I could swear it was her voice. I couldn't go out as I'd planned. What if someone else should hear it? Would they go to the wall? Investigate? The doorbell. Oh, it couldn't be at this hour. It couldn't be, but... Sorry to disturb you, Mr. Hernandez. It was Patrolman Cleary. He was the officer on the beat. He was blue with cold. I was passing by and I saw the lights on. I peeked in the window. You you looked in? Yes. Since you were still up, I thought I'd ring. It's a bit of cold out tonight, and I'd like to warm these old bones for a minute. Oh, oh yes. Yes, of course, Cleary. Don't stand there in the door, man. Come in. Come in. Thank you. See, that's cool down, Mr. O'Neill. Just got in? Only, only a few moments ago. As a matter of fact, I, I was going to see you. See me? Why, yes. It's, it's about my wife. Hi, something wrong? I, I hope not. I was out all evening. When I got home, she was gone. It's not like her, Mr. O'Neill. No, it, it isn't. Was she alone all evening? Yes, I, at least I think she was. You know, she hasn't been feeling very well lately, and I... Why, I hate to think it possible, but... But she may have destroyed herself. Mrs. O'Neill? No. She wasn't a sort... Oh, she was ill. Terribly ill. I tried to keep it secret until she recovered. But the doctors knew. Insane? Yes. Don't you see? The river. I'd better get back to the precinct and report this. You'd better come with me. Missing persons bureau will. Hey, Mr. O'Neill. Yes. You must be mistaken. Is that her? That that isn't a woman. Of course it is. She's coming from that room there. Well, sure, it's your wife. I know her voice, and she sounds like she's in pain. But it can't be. There's no one in that room. But she wants to come in the back way. Come, I'll show you. No, don't go in. Huh? Nothing. No. See for yourself. There's no one here. No one. Could have sworn your wife was in this room. All right, friends. We've given you a chance to warm your blood. And now we fondly hope to turn it to ice again. With the help of our star, Boris Karloff, we continue with the strange letter left by Gabriel Hornell. Here he watched in silent fascination as the cat screamed and leaped against the wall. Would he notice the new wallpaper in the dim light? Suddenly, the policeman turned to me. Yes, I... I guess that noise is only the wind. Strange, I like a wailing woman it can sound, isn't it? Yes. Well, I'll be leaving now. I guess it'll be all right for you to stay here. 
I'll make a report at headquarters about your wife. It's very good of you, Cleary. She turns up, you let us know? Yes, I, I'll let you know. Good night, Mr. O'Neill. Good night. He left. I locked the door and came back to the room. The room where my wife was entombed. Was she still alive inside the hollow of that wall? I listened all that night. The wailing rose to a high, insane shriek. And then towards morning, began to grow weak. And so she was losing strength. And it seemed to die. The cat crept away. There was a merciful silence in the house. She was dead. She had to be by now. I sank down onto the sofa into a feverish sleep. Somewhere a bell was tolling, calling the mourners for the grave. Suddenly I sat both upright, shaking, trembling. Oh, I'd been dreaming. The front doorbell was ringing. It was night again. How long had I slept? Silent. Oh, there was nothing to fear now. I ran to the door, opened it. Hiya, kiddo. Dorothy. Well, are you going to keep me out here in the cold? No, no. Come in. Come in. I haven't been... haven't been feeling well, darling. Is that why you forgot our date tonight? I, I must have overslept. What time is it? Ten o'clock. Ten? I must have slept clear through the day. Well, aren't you glad to see me? Glad? Well, oh, yes, it's a, it's a delightful surprise. Well, that's more like you. Come here, kiddo. You've got the blues that Dorothy will wipe them away. Give us a kiss. Mm-hmm. What? What's that? Just, just the wind. Oh, no, it can't be the wind. This is a very old house, Dorothy. You sometimes hear strange noises. Oh, I've never heard anything like that before. Sounds human. Oh, she's still alive. Even after 24 hours? Suddenly I realized that the doorbell was ringing again. There was a large pair of wooden sliding panel doors between the room that we were in and the vestibule that led to the street. I wasn't going to take any more chances. There's someone at the door, Gabe. Yes. You wait here, Dorothy. What are you doing? Closing these doors. Why? I'd advise you not to ask too many questions. Evening, Miss O'Neill. Officer Cleary. Who are those men with you? Hey. Got something to show you, Miss O'Neill. You'd better brace yourself. Not going to be pleasant. All right, bring it in, boys. You can put it over there. What? What is it? It's a body. A woman. Just fished out of the river right near here. She can't be dead more than 24 hours. My wife? That's hard to say. You see, the body got caught in the propeller of a boat. Not easy to recognize it. Unless it was examined by someone who knew her very well. Like yourself, of course. Uh, let me see it. 
Take away the burner. Look, Miss Donnell. Oh. I know. It's pretty bad. Is... Is it your wife? Agnes? Yes. Yes, of course. It's... It's her. You're sure now? Yes, I... I'm sure. Positive. All right, boys. Take it away. You can stay here, Mr. Arnett. I'll take care of everything down at headquarters. Good night. Good night, Cleary. Luck, fate, whatever it is that seemed to control men's lives was playing directly into my hands. They'd never investigate now. The nightmare was over. This time I was really free. Suddenly, the panel door opened. Dorothy was standing there, a curious smile on her lips. I heard everything, kiddo. You did? So you were married. No longer, Dorothy. My wife died. Suicide. So I heard. Now everything will be quite all right and we can get married in a few weeks. We'll have money, lots of money. She left you plenty, eh? She was very wealthy. What's the matter? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I see what happens to your face when you hear that wail. Did you kill her? What are you talking about? Did you murder her? You heard what he said. She was found in the river. You can fool the dumb copper, but you can't fool Dorothy. That wail. Queer. Awful queer. Look at what that cat's doing, will you? Jumping up on that wall like it's gone crazy. Yes, there's something about that wall. That's what the cat's trying to tell me. Something about the wall. You better stay away from that, Arthur. I'm going to find out. Plan? 
I thought of a thousand plans, but all of them would mean that I had to leave the house, and if I left, someone would hear the wail and find out, just as Dorothy did. Fire. Yes, fire. That would do it. The idea danced like a flame in my mind. But no, no. They discovered charred bones of the skeletons among the wreckage. No, it, it wouldn't be worth it. The only way I could be safe was to stay there in the house. I stayed. I, who had risked everything... One day, the doorbell tinkled. I opened it. Mr. Harnell? Yes? I'm Mr. Crawford from the bank. May I come in? Just in here, in the vestibule. We've written to you a dozen times, but you've never replied. What do you want? Well, Mr. Hornell, you may not realize it, but you've overdrawn your account. The money your wife left is gone. Gone? So short a time? So short? Why, she died 40 years ago. 40? It seems only yesterday. We've been investigating. Even the grocer who used to supply your food no longer will extend you credit. What do you want with me? I'm not starving. If you'd see your face, you'd realize that you are, Mr. Hornell. Now, if you'll only be reasonable, we can see to it that you get $250,000. A quarter of a million? How? By selling this house. It's become very valuable. Uh, no. You get out of here. Get out. But listen to Hornell. Get out. Very well. He was right. I was starving. That night, when I heard the wailing begin again, I came to a decision. I, I had spent 40 years in the house. More punishment than criminals receive who've committed even worse crimes than mine. I'd take a chance. I opened the wall I sealed up 40 years ago. She, she was still there. But the wailing continued. Why, why? And then I saw it. I saw this thing that had ruined my life. It was a tiny hole in the outside wall that I'd made when I first broke it open. The wind rushed through and made that horrible wail. Ah, what was the use? I took a match out of my pocket. I set it flame to the curtains. In a moment, the place would be an inferno. I decided to stay. I wanted to perish with the house. But even then, freedom was denied me. They rescued me, brought me to this hospital. I had the nurse make inquiries from the police. She told me. No, there was nothing unusual found among the ashes. Everything was burned to a fine powder. If, if I had only set fire to the house 40 years ago. But no matter. The window is open. And it's 18 stories to the ground. 
for another Inner Sanctum Mystery. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. This is Bela Lugosi welcoming you to Mystery House. Mystery House, starring Bela Lugosi. Mystery House, where live again the stories of the greatest mystery theater the world has ever known, the Grand Guignol of Paris. Mystery House, where tonight the distinguished actor John Carradine joins Bela Lugosi in presenting The Thirsty Death. Uh, good evening, folks. This is Ken Carpenter. If I sound a little nervous, it's not really my fault. I'm usually a pretty steady guy, calm as anyone, but, well, this is asking too much. Bela Lugosi alone is enough to scare you. John Carradine isn't exactly soothing to your nerves, but put them together in a story set in darkest Africa with mad dogs howling in the background, and, whew, well, find out for yourself. rises on The Thirsty Death, starring Bela Lugosi and his guest at Mystery House, John Carradine. You hear those naked drums? You know what they're saying? Eve Plazanta does. That is why her heart is pounding to the mounting cadence of those ceaseless drums. That's why she's hurrying faster, faster, hurrying through the North African forest in the oppressive heat of this humid afternoon. And that is why Malad, her native houseboy, follows unwillingly, his eyes rolling fearfully in the wide sockets. Malad, faster. Walk faster. Misus, please. Better we go by. Don't talk such nonsense. But, Misus, thirsty death walks. Uh. All around us is thirsty death. You hear, Misus? Do you hear? Oh, stop gibbering oh. like a frightened child. Oh. Anyway, we've gone too far to turn back now. Oh. We're almost halfway to the village. No. But a week, Obak. But a week. Oh, oh, Kubak. Mullen. Mullen, don't leave me here alone. 
Don't let me in. Eve, it is you. Rene. I couldn't believe my own ear. Come in, come in. Oh, I had no idea this was your house, Rene. I knew you lived somewhere near here, but... What happened? I was on my way to the village when Mollet, my, my houseboy, became frightened and ran away. There was a mad dog somewhere near. Well, so I have something to thank the epidemic for after all. Who would have thought back in Paris that we should meet again like this? Oh, Renee, please. Yes, forgive me. I was so taken away at seeing you. Oh, sit down. Let me pour you some water. Oh, thank you. Yeah, drink. Not so fast, Eve. You make yourself ill. More, please. Well, it'll tomorrow be all right, I suppose. I, I never knew before what Paris could mean. Imagine those poor devils out there, hundreds of them who have hydrophobia. Whatever induced you to set foot outside your door? Oh, it, it was foolhardy of me, I know. My husband had to leave for the coast to be gone at least a week. And the prospect of being shut in all alone, except for my terrified houseboy. Yes, the natives are in a dreadful panic. My own houseboy, Gildas, ran off and deserted me yesterday. But you say you were on your way to the village. Well, perhaps you know the Chabours. I was going to stay with them until Francois, my husband, returned. You, are you happy with him? Him? You mean my husband? Of course we're happy. Very happy. Then why, when I first learned who the new doctor and his wife were, did you send back word by Gildas that I would not be welcome in your home? Because... Because you were afraid that seeing me might rekindle our love? Wasn't that it? No. No, Ray. It's because Francois is such a jealous husband. Middle-aged men with beautiful young wives usually are. Well, I, I'm rested now. I must be on my way to the village. If I'm to make it by nightfall. But you can't go out there again. I must. Oh... Rene, you loved me once. I love you still. Then go with me. Take me to the village. Very well. But you're still tired. Rest a bit longer, and then we'll stop. <sighs> Strange, isn't it, Rene? Strange and wonderful. And doesn't it prove something to you, Eve? When you sent me away back there in Paris, because your parents wished you to marry this Dr. Poisson, I chose the farthest, most inaccessible, most uncivilized spot I could think of. Yet here I am, too. Eve. With my husband. Does he know that you were once in love with another? With me? With another, yes. I'm not sure. Oh! Those dogs. You said one spine a tingling. That'll have my gun, of course. Hydrophobia turned him into such a snarling, howling, frothing beast. They had to smother him between two mattresses. Oh, it's a ghastly disease. And yet there are fools, criminal fools, who refuse to obey the order that all dogs be killed. I didn't hesitate to kill all four of my pets. Eve, why do you suddenly look at me like that? Oh, nothing. There's a dog in your home, isn't there? Yes. What, that sheer folly. Francois refuses to do away with him. That's another reason why I couldn't bear to remain home. I was afraid. What manner of man is this husband of yours? He says he needs the dog for experiments. Please, Rene, we mustn't delay any longer. It, it gets dark so suddenly out here. Very well. I'll get my gun. Rene. What's the matter? Somebody's outside. Probably Gildas, that poor houseboy of mine, coming back at last. No, no, it... Eve, who was it you said you saw just through the windows? Why do you... My husband. Your husband? Not what you said. He mustn't find me here, Renee. He's so insanely jealous, he'll think... He mustn't find me here. Wait, go upstairs. There's a bedroom. All right. Who's there? Oh, good evening. Good evening, monsieur. I'm Dr. Plaisant. Oh, new doctor. Well, won't you come in? Thank you. I am René Bramont. Yes, I've heard of you. I think that back in Paris we had a, a mutual friend. You must be mistaken, my dear doctor. 
I am from Marseille. So? You are an obliging host. Your health, Dr. Passant. And yours, Monsieur Bremont. Hmm. Splendid liqueur. I must say, a comfortable place you have here. Thank you, Doctor. This, I presume, is your living room. It's a very small place. <laughs> Just the kind of place that would appeal to my wife. We're thinking of building next year, and if you don't mind, I like to take a look at the bedroom. No. That is, I, I'd rather you didn't. Oh. The bedroom is uh, occupied, perhaps. Of course not. I, I'm here all alone. Then? Well, doctor, I might as well confess. Yes? Gildas, my houseboy, deserted me yesterday. Well, the bedroom is in a frightful mess. I must ask you to wait until some other time to see it. Hmm. As you wish. Now, Doctor, at the risk of seeming a rude host, I must remind you that it will soon be dark. You you think I should be on my way? <laughs> After all, Dr. Passant, you of all people should be aware of the menace that lurks in the forest. There's still mad dogs loose and after dark. Oh, yes. Those mad dogs. And me, completely out of serum. Out of serum? Good heavens! Can't you get some more? The whole district has run out. I intended leaving for the coast today to get a supply, but... Yes? But something very significant came to my attention. So I sent someone else. Doctor, it's such a long trip. Why, this means that for at least a week, every case of hydrophobia in this district must necessarily be fatal. Yes, monsieur. In what ghastly cases we had. Death so horrible that even I, who have seen so much of death, was and utterly revolted. And yet you are so rash as to keep a dog in your own house. What's that, monsieur? What's that? You know I have a dog? Then she told you. She? I, I, I don't know who you mean. Who told you? Gildas, my houseboy, Gildas. You know how these natives chatter. He heard it from your houseboy. <laughs> a most unusual servant, that Gildas. First leaves your bedroom a frightful mess so that I can't see it. And now he tells you about a dog. Dr. Passant, you must do away with the dog. It's too dangerous. Why, just think if your wife... Your solicitude for my wife's safety touches me deeply, Monsieur Grimaud. Too bad she couldn't be along with me on this visit. Yes, it is. But perhaps we shall all three be together... Quite soon. Goodbye, monsieur. Goodbye, doctor. Yeah. Eve, you can come down now. Oh, Rene. Oh, I was so frightened. I, I can hardly stand. You're pale as a ghost. Here, sit down. I thought he'd never go. And when he asked to see the bedroom... Eve, he knew you were here. You think so? His very manner in asking to see the bedroom. And his reaction when I forgot myself and spoke of the dog. Yes, yes. I tried to tell myself otherwise, but I know it's true. Didn't he even speak of a mutual friend in Paris? He meant me. Of course. He knows we were once sweethearts. And now, the way things happen... Don't, Eve, don't. I can't bear to see you like this. What if he does know? You've done no wrong. God knows you've been a faithful wife. But he... I told you how jealous Francois is. He'll never believe the truth, never. What kind of a devil is he? 
that you should cower and cringe before him. Oh, you don't know what he's capable of. Then why don't you divorce him? You don't love him, you never have. He'd never consent to a divorce. He's told me so. Then leave him anyway. Eve, darling, come away with me. Come away to the other end of the earth. I'll make you happy, I swear I will. Everything we once hoped and dreamed together... Oh, Renee, don't, please. You're only making me feel worse. As long as I'm his wife, I... I, I couldn't. Yes. I... I suppose I knew that. Look. Night has closed in already. We've got... What's the matter? If I hadn't caught you then, you'd have fallen. Oh, it's, it's, it's just nerves. I'll be all right. We've got to start for the village at once, Renee. But you're in no condition to ever make it, Eve. Do you realize how far it is? Yes, but I... Those mad dogs prowling in the blackness of the forest? I, I can't stay here. Why not? You can have the bedroom upstairs. I'll sleep down here on the couch. Do you think he'd ever believe that? Listen. I have an idea. Why didn't I think of it before? Some friends of mine, an elderly couple, have a place down by the river. I'll take you there at dawn. They'll say you were here all, all, you were there all the time. You really think they will? Positive, and Eve. We were probably wrong about your husband knowing you were here. We just imagined things. Everything's going to turn out all right. Trembling. What time is it? Well, as a matter of fact, we'd have had to get up soon anyway. It's just about dawn. Well, then if you don't mind, I'll, I'll go back downstairs with you. I I hate to be alone. Sure thing. I'll start writing and fixing breakfast. I had a restless night, too. Uh, wouldn't be a bit surprised if I was going to have another bottle of malaria. My head's spinning. And I ache all over. Sit down. I like the lamp. Yes, too. It's eerie black. Oh, here's a match. Oh, there. The light from the lamp makes me feel better already. <laughs> I can almost laugh at my horrible dream now. Was it about the dogs? Yes, about the little dog Nero that my husband refused to kill. I dreamed that, that right before my eyes, the dog changed into the shadowy figure of a man. No wonder you woke up screaming. But that was only the beginning of the dream. It, it seemed to me that I woke up there in the bedroom upstairs, and the shadowy figure was, was leaning over me. I was so paralyzed with fright I couldn't move. And then I heard this, this thing go out of my room and close the door. And it seemed to me that I lay there in eternity, trying to scream but unable to utter a sound. And finally, I found my voice. Eve. Renee, you do look ill. I hadn't noticed before how... Eve, I had a strange dream, too. I also dreamed that a sh shadowy figure was moving about in here. No. And then I dreamed the figure went out and barred the doors and windows from the outside. Renee, look. The windows are barred. Quick! The door, test it. Well, we must still be dreaming. It can't be. It's true. The door is locked and barred from the outside. Oh. Whoever you are there, open the door! We've got to get out of here. We've got to get out of here. Well, I hope you're not frightened yet, because this isn't anything. Wait till you hear Bela Lugosi and John Carradine in the second act of The Thirsty Death. And wait till you hear those howling dogs. We left 
Steve Pazant and Rene Bermond beating senselessly on the barred door. The barred door which keeps them prisoners there in the Subramans Lodge, remote in the North African forest. As we return to them now in the ghostly dawn, they are still hammering their fists on the door in a fit of panic, still shouting hopelessly for help. Papi! Papi! We're behaving like panicky children. We've got to be calm. We've got to think this thing through like rational human beings. Calm, Rational? Yes, yes, of course. We wake up and find the door and windows barred from the outside. Now, is that any reason to give way to terror? Shadowy figure, Rene. He must have had a purpose. A ghastly purpose. Nonsense. He only existed in your imagination. And I dare say you transplanted him to mine. For all we know, Gildas may have done this just as a joke. You don't really believe that, Rene. Certainly I do. All if it wasn't Gildas, maybe it was some native with a twisted sense of humor. Oh, Rene, we've got to get out of here. Naturally, and it shouldn't be very difficult if we use our heads. Now, let's see. Why, of course. I have a hatchet over here in the drawer. Oh, Rene. Gone. Rene, he took it. Whoever locked us in took it. Now, now. No. Now, don't get hysterical no. again. I can always fire my revolver, and maybe it might help that way. Oh, then hurry, hurry. See, the cartridges are over here in the other drawer. No. The cartridges, they're gone too. Yes, they're gone too. Rene, the door. Somebody's there. It's opening. Dr. Fazan. Ah, good morning, Monsieur Bimond. And Eve, my dear wife, aren't you happy to see your devoted husband again? You locked us in, didn't you? Yes, it was you. Stand where you are, monsieur. I shall feel impelled to use my gun. Dr. Pazant, what sort of comedy do you think you're playing? A romantic one, but only as a supporting player. I'm sure you'll be the first to admit that. Oh, no, 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 Francois. It isn't true what you're thinking. We can explain everything if you'll only give us a chance. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure it would be a most ingenious alibi. You blind, stupid, jealous fool. I demand that you let us out of here at once. Let you out? Oh, no. I couldn't do that. It would be criminal. Criminal? Decidedly, you are dangerous. What riddles are you speaking now? Not riddles. Facts. Oh, he's gone mad. Completely mad. No, my dear wife. I'm not mad, but unfortunately, it will soon be impossible to say the same about one of you. What? Which one? Me? Perhaps. And then again? Perhaps it is she. Who knows? What are you talking about? Tell us what you have to say and be done with it. Very well, Monsieur Bimon. Remember telling me that I ought to have killed my little dog. What about it? I have been forced to follow your advice, Monsieur. You see, the dog had become rabid. Oh. But what has that to do with us? Patience. Patience. What will interest you particularly is that last night, after I killed the poor dog, I filled my hypodermic needle with its saliva. With its saliva? Yes, its saliva, brimming with hydrophobia. And then I came back here. Came back all the way through the forest. I came back with my hypodermic needle. It was really you. You that I saw leaning over my bed. And then you injected the needle into me. You monster! You infected us both! No, no, not both. Just one of you. Don't you remember my saying? Oh, which one? Which one did you infect? It wasn't me. Or me, in the name of heaven, man. <laughs> very soon you'll find out. But very soon the one who is infected will begin to feel symptoms. You are 
quite unmistakable, I assure you. First, just a general feeling of sickness, steadily growing worse. And I'm the one. I woke up feeling ill. And what about me? I thought it was malaria. Next will come that awful crucifying thirst. And then the final stage. The transformation into a snarling, frothing, howling beast that will bite and tear and stand back, Ramon, or I shoot. Dr. Pezan, by all that is holy, I swear that we are innocent. Oh, yes, Francois, yes. Have you no mercy? I have only advice. There in the drawer, where you failed to find the hatchet, I left a knife. A knife? Oh, it's not sharp enough or strong enough to tear open the door or window bars, however... When the mad person attacks the healthy one, the knife will prove useful. <laughs> Goodbye. If we only knew. If we only knew which one of us it was. Not me. He wouldn't have done it to me. He wants me. He wouldn't destroy me. It's you, Rennie. He did it to you. You're just saying that, Edith. You know in your heart it isn't true. Suspicion has turned his love for you into inhuman hatred. You're the one he'd want to destroy, not me. It's you he's infected, you. First, just a general feeling of sickness, steadily growing worse. General feeling of sickness, steadily growing worse. What he said. What's that you're saying, Eve? Rene, there's no longer any doubt about it. It was me that he infected. No, no, no. It was me. Just as he said, the symptoms are unmistakable. Why should I lie to myself or you any longer? I'm the victim. You're sure, Renee. You're positive. Good to God that I weren't. General feeling of sickness. Next will come that awful crucifying thirst. That awful crucifying thirst. Renee, where is the water? Empty. No. That devil! He must have poured out all the water. Poured out all the water! And I'm so thirsty! So horribly, terribly thirsty! You are? Eve, you are? Then you must be the one. Water! Why do you get me water? I can have water! Me, I warn you. Don't me. come a step closer. If you do, I'll knife. have to use this knife. We're locked in here together, Eva. There's nothing I can do but use this knife. Help! Help! Where is she? Where do you think she is? The home of Monsieur Bremont, where you took her. Monsieur Bremont? 
No, no, doctor. Molly not take missus anywhere. Molly get scared of dogs. Run away and leave missus all alone in forest. Come back now to say very sorry. Don't lie to me. You took her to Monsieur Dremont yesterday. Yesterday you had probably taken her many times before. No, no. Tell me, Ballard, oh. how much did she pay you for keeping her secret? Secret? What secret you talk about? Don't taunt me about You lied, devil. Oh. It won't do any good. I found her with Monsieur Bremont. Who this Monsieur Bremont? Molly, not know. If no. you say that once more, I'll flood you. Oh. The game is up. I caught her with her lover and... Molly, not know what you talk. Yesterday, Mrs. Say go without the village. On way, dog come. Molly, run. Leave Mrs. behind. Now, come back to say very sorry. A very oh. clever story, Molly. Oh, yeah. And who knows? Yeah. I might have been fool enough to believe it. If not for death. Oh, you get letter. Yes, a letter. Last night, while visiting Monsieur Grimond's lodge, I found it in a drawer hidden under a box of cartridges. It's in her own handwriting. Doctor, what letter say? I couldn't bear to read what my wife wrote to her lover. I haven't read it. But I will now. I'll read it now. Mrs. Very Good to Molly. Very Good to Molly. Doctor! What is it? Why you... Rene, everything that once was between us is forgotten and must forever remain that way. Please, I beg you, never come to see me. And if ever we chance to meet, remember, I am Madame Pleasant and not the girl who... Oh, dear God. What have I done? Doctor, where you go? Quick, but it's come. Maybe there is yet time. Let me out, for God's sake. Let me out of here. Yes, yes. Quick, but it's... Help me get the door open. Missus. <clears throat> How did you expect to find her? So, you killed her. Yes. I killed her. I was only your instrument. You gave her that monstrous disease. Eve. Eve. Look at her now. Your wife. Your beautiful young wife. You and your hypodermic needle. You made her into a frothing, howling, biting... Listen to me. It's true that the blood is on my soul. She was not a victim of hydrophobia. I all that about that hypodermic needle. I, I made it up. Neither you nor, nor my wife was touched. Ladies and gentlemen, that was The Thirsty Death, starring Bela Lugosi and John Carradine with Lorene Tuttle. What's the matter, Ken? We didn't frighten you, did we? Well, I'm afraid you did, Bela. That was pretty scary. Oh, that was nothing. Nothing? No. Wait till you hear next week's story. The Grand Guignol play about a woman who was buried alive. And my guest will be the beautiful and charming Simone Simon. Hope you and your audience will join me next week at Mystery House.
Bela Lugosi is currently being starred in a series of Mystery House pictures at Universal Studios. You'll find Mystery House novels on sale at your local bookstore. John Carradine will soon be seen in the title role of Bluebeard. This is Ken Carpenter. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight, we escape to a lonely lighthouse off the steaming jungle coast of French Guiana and a nightmare world of terror and violence. As we bring you again in response to hundreds of requests, Three Skeleton Key, starring Vincent Price. Picture this place. A gray tapering cylinder welded by iron rods and concrete to the key itself. A bare black rock, 150 feet long, maybe 40 wide. That's at low tide. At high tide, just the lighthouse rising 110 feet straight up out of the ocean. And all about it, the churning water. Gray-green scum dappled, warm as soup. And swarming with gigantic bat-like devilfish. Great violet schools of Portuguese man-o-war. And yes... Sharks, the big ones, the 15-footers. And as if this weren't enough, there was a hot, dank, rotten-smelling wind that came at us day and night off the jungle swamps of the mainland. A wind that smelled like death. A wind that had smelled the slow and frightful death that came one night to this bare black rock. Set in the base of the light was a watertight bronze door. And in you went... And up. Yes, up and up and round and round, past the tanks of oil and the coils of rope, casks of wicks, racks of lanterns, sacks of spuds and cartons and cans, and up, and up and up, round and round. Over the light storeroom was the food storeroom, and over the food storeroom was the bunk room where the three of us slept. And over the bunk room was the living and cooking room, and over the living and cooking room was the light. She was a beauty, big steel and bronze baby with the sun gleaming through the glass walls all about, bouncing, blinding little beams off the big shining reflectors, glittering and refracting through her lenses. The whole gigantic bulk of her balanced like a ballerina on the glistening steel axle of her rotary mechanism. She was a sweetheart of a light. And at night, she'd lie there on the stone deck of the gallery with her revolving smoothly and quietly over your head, easing her bright white eye 360 degrees around the horizon. You'd lie there watching to see that the feeders kept working, that everything ran right. And it wouldn't be bad, the other two fellows snoring in their sacks two levels down. You'd smoke your pipe to kill the stink of the wind, and it wouldn't be bad. 
About those other two, Louis and Auguste. What a pair. Louis, he was head man, was a big fellow from the Basque country. Black beard, little hard black eyes, and a pair of arms that I tell you, those arms were as big around as my legs. Yes, head man he was, and what word he let go was law. A silent fellow, and although I spent my first two weeks trying to strike up a real conversation, the most I could ever get out of him was... Jean, I took up this profession because I don't like people. They want to talk too much. It's quiet work, light tending. Let's keep it that way. You, you're getting to be as bad as August. I thought maybe for once they send me somebody... Who that was Louis. When he accused me of becoming like August, I quieted down because August was the talkingest man I'd ever met. The talkingest and the ugliest. He was hunchbacked, stood four feet high, had red hair and big blue eyes. It seems he'd been an actor in Paris. Yes, indeed. Played in over 200 different productions, dear boy, at the Grand Guignol. Oh, but it was monstrous horrible, the way we used to scare the audiences. I, I was hated. Yes, yes, they used to throw things and hiss and bare their teeth at me. Finally, it got too bad. I couldn't stand it any longer. I gave up the theater. My nerves, you understand, yes? Gave it up completely. I really did. Couldn't stand it any It all started one morning at 2.30. I was on watch, lying on the cool stone deck, pulling on my pipe, staring out at the blackness, the phosphorescent combers, and the big yellow stars, when out of the corner of my eye, I noticed something show up for a second, something the light had touched, far off. I waited for her to come around again, and when she did, there it was. master, a big one, about a half mile off and coming down out of the north-northwest, coming straight for us. You must understand, our light was where it was for a very good reason. Dangerous submerged reefs surrounded us and ships kept clear. But this one, this sailing vessel, was coming straight on. I went over to the gallery door and yelled, Louis! Louis! Couldn't understand it. I waited for the light to come around again. Ship headed for the reef. Hurry right up. I had the glasses off. Now, I couldn't read her name, but I could see her quite plainly. All sails set, the foam creaming away under her bow, her beautiful lines. A Dutch ship, I guessed her. But why didn't she turn? Every time it passed, our light hit her with the glare of day. Ship? Where? North, northwest. The light will touch her in a moment. Can't they see? Look at her. She just keeps coming on. Yeah, the square heads. What is it? What is it? Watch north, northwest. I know. I know what it is. Huh? What? The Dutchman. The flying Dutchman. We did a play about her once. Oh, what a performance. You ghastly galleon, hag-ridden, curse-driven, must all... Shut up, will you? She's loving. Yes. Sloppy way to come about. She's derelict, that's it. Derelict? Abandoned. The crew left her for some reason or other. But instead of sinking, she's gone on, running before every wind. She'll not run long. Not with these reefs to break her up. A beautiful ship. Now, why would men leave a beautiful ship like that? She didn't ram us, although we all expected it. 
But as we waited for the crash, she luffed again, caught some odd gust, and went about. We watched her the rest of those black hours, heeling and rocking, pushed and pulled by every stray wind, every freak current. Watched her until the dawn came, till the sea turned from black to a pearly gray. And on she came again, heading for us. We all had our glasses trained on her now. August, you can kill the light. Right, Chief? She doesn't look so good by daylight. Think she'll ground this time? What? I say, do you think she'll ground this time? This is impossible. Absolutely impossible. What? Here. Take my glasses. They're better than yours. All right. And what is it you... I had to focus and then my breath froze in my throat. The decks were swarming with a dark brown carpet that looked like a gigantic fungus, but undulating. And on the masts and yards, the guys and all were hundreds, no thousands, no... I don't know, an endless number of enormous rats. See them? Yes, I see them. Now we know why she's derelict. Yes, now we know. What are you two doing? Here, give me a look. Yes, give him the glasses. Take a good look, chatterbox. Give you something to talk about. She's still heading for us. Yes. (sighs) She's going to turn. She better turn soon. (sighs) Suppose she doesn't. You mean suppose she piles up on the key? It's low tide. Yes. Yes, it is. Where's all the conversation, August? Huh? Here, want the glasses again? (sighs) What another look? No, no. She's still coming on. Go away! Go away! Turn, will you? Turn, I say, I pray you, turn! She's climbing up. The rats. Look, on the water. Like a carpet. They're swimming. Sure, they're swimming. Those are ship's rats. But they're swimming for the rocks. The door below. It's open. Come on. Down we went, racing down the stone stairs, taking them three and four at a time. Scared? You bet we were scared. August, you get the windows. Maybe they can climb. We don't know. Gracie, but hurry, hurry. Look. See them? No. Oh, yes, I do. Up at the other end of the rock. Look at the millions. They smell us. Here they come. Close the door. Here, let me... Oh, move, you move. Made it. Holy... That was close. One guy in. Look, there. Get him! He was as big as a turtle. Bigger. And his eyes were wild and red, his teeth long and sharp and yellow. He went for us, hard and ravenous, and we fought him, fought that one rat all over the room. It was, oh, believe me, I do not exaggerate. It was like fighting a panther. Got him. We better get aloft. As we ran up the winding staircase, we passed the tiny windows of the various levels, and at every one was a thick, wriggling, screaming curtain of brown fur. I was ahead of Louie, and I dreaded each successive level. Suppose they had found a way in. Look at them. Will you look at them? It's a nightmare. Will you look at them? The air of the gallery was thick and fetid with the stink of them. The light was dim, brown. 
filtered through the crawling mass that swarmed over the glass all about us. I could not see the sky. Nothing, nothing but them. Their red eyes, their claws, their wriggling hairy snouts, and their teeth. The rats. They screamed and howled and threw themselves against the glass. They were starving. And we three, we stood very quietly. Very, very quietly in the center of the classroom under our beautiful light. And we waited. What can we do? What can we do? Take it easy, old man. Take it easy. I can't. I just can't. It won't do any good to stand here and shake. That's right. Anybody want a cigarette? Yes. Yes, I have one. Thank you. Good boy. We've got to keep calm about this thing. Here's a light. <laughs> yeah, they don't like the fires, do they? Guess not. <laughs> Give me another match. <laughs> you don't like that much, do you? Don't rile them, August. <laughs> Give me some more matches. I'll strike them and strike them and strike them until they get scared and go away. They won't go away. <laughs> not until... Let me see, Jim. Not until what? Not until they've been... You can take just so much horror and then you get used to it. And they were interesting to watch, you know. They couldn't understand the glass. They could see us and they could rush at us, but that thin, invisible barrier held them off, stopped them. From time to time, we caught a glimpse of the rocks below. More rats down there, swarming brown velvet in the bright tropical sunlight. And then the tide began to rise. Only it had drowned some of them. Ships rats don't drown. <laughs> no, sir, you cannot drown one of them. They're all climbing up the tower. This bunch around us is getting thicker. Yeah. Say, what's the time? Quarter six. You've got first watch, John. Right. Uh, wake me at ten. I will. Come along, Argus. It was getting dark. One side of the room was lit a soft, filtered red. Sunset through the racks. Oh, very pretty. I set the wicks, checked my fuel, and then lit the lamps. It caught them. Lifting in their gigantic wriggling web of pale, hairless bellies, twitching red tails, bright eyes. Then I started the rotary motor. Life drove them mad as she swung slowly and smoothly about. She blinded them in the fierce, stabbing bar of light, moving continually about of a turning, of a touching, of a moving around and around. And they, twitching and shuddering, eyes flaming when they were struck by the light bright light moving and behind on the dark side of the room, so close, so close I dared not turn my back but you cannot help turning your back when you're in a room made of glass. On the dark side of the room, you could not see them, but only their eyes. Thousands of points of blank red light blinking and twinkling like the stars of hell. me at ten, but I didn't get much sleep that night, and when I came up into the gallery early next morning, 
There stood August, his back to me. He was bowing to the rats, waving his arms and making a speech. I am going to play once again that magnificent role which made me the toast of the Paris theater. Prelate, the evil genius of the medieval underworld. I am he who did guide the dark soul of the Marechal into the nether parts. <laughs> Do not be frightened, little children. I will not hurt turning. you. I much. stood staring at him, horror-struck. But he didn't notice me. The man had gone mad. He kept turning, telling his stories to all the rats, leaving no one out. August! August! Another one. A latecomer. Take a seat on the aisle, dear patron. August, Move stop over it, there. Stop it. Let the gentleman be but seated. But he didn't come, stop. Come. He went on, oh, bowing and scraping God. to the rats, his big blue eyes rolling and winking, his wild red hair waving about him. I grabbed him by the arm. Slapped his face. He looked at me like a child. And then his face screwed up. He looked as though he were about to cry. Go below. Go on. Oh, very well, then. Later, my dear audience, later. Matinee today. Sure, he was crazy. But I guess we all were. A few hours later, he came back up and caught Louie and me teasing the rats. Yes. Sounds horrible. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> We could get right up against the glass and make faces at them. It drove them crazy. They would scratch away trying to get at our eyes. Louis was even cuter about it. He'd pull a piece of bread out of his pocket and press it against the glass. The rats would scramble into a solid ball, biting each other, clustering like grapes. From time to time, a whole knot of them would slip and fall 110 feet to the surf below. Sharks. They're eating them. Yeah, the sharks are our friends. Yeah, I'll get another bunch together. Yeah, my beauty. That's it. Pile of kill each other. There they go. Auguste joined in, too. Oh, very ingenious, Auguste. He learned that if he spread eagled himself against the glass, they'd bunch and bundle against his figure. Then he'd leap back. Look! My portrait in rats. It went on all day. And then I was lying in bed. It was about midnight. I was very tired and I was just beginning to fall off to sleep when I became conscious of a new sound. Couldn't figure it at first. I got up, lit the lamp and went to the window. Even as I looked at it, I saw one of the panes begin to sag in. They had eaten the wood away. Louis, Louis, come uh, quick. What? What is it? They found a way in. I held the glass with my hand. Now they were all going crazy and assured of the success of this maneuver, were all nibbling away at the wood. Louis ran below and then returned with a large sheet of tin. We spread it against the window and hammered it into place. Even as we did so, we felt the heavy body cutting against the other side as the window gave way. That ought to hold. If it doesn't, we're done for. Rats can't eat tin. No, they can't. So what was that? I don't know. It came from below. The storeroom window. They're in. They're swarming up the stairs. Drop the trap. Right. Two of them got in. Let's go after them. We didn't have to go after them. They came at us. 
I leaped to one side and grabbed a marlin spike, swung and smashed one in midair. I whirled to see Louie with the other. It had ripped his hand open and the blood was pouring all over the place. He held his hand aloft and kicked at the snarling rat. I stepped and swung and got him. My hand! He got my hand! That's both of them, Louie. I'll, I'll get you something to tie that up. Blood! Look at it, my... I'm bleeding. Now, don't worry about it, Louie. Here, look. I'll wind this kerchief around it. It'll be okay. Blood. There, now. It's not bad. Just the flesh. Then I became conscious of another new sound. They were gnawing their way through the wooden trap door. I watched the wood fascinated. Even as I did, it began to give way. And a bristling, whiskery nose showed through Louie, Louie, we've got to go up. Next level was the middle quarters in the kitchen. I slammed the trap door there, too. But it, too, was wood. My blood. What are we going to do? Hell no. We'll be through this one in a moment. The gallery. The trap door in the gallery is metal. Good. Come on. We made it. Across the trapdoor, exhausted. While below us, the rats took over the entire tower. I could hear them howling and fighting over our food supply, our water, our leather. And all about us, the others screamed and glared in at us, swayed in a tangled mass, hypnotized by the ever turning light. By morning, the air in the little room was horrible. Until now, we'd been getting air from the tower below. Now that was sealed off. And so was all our food and water. We lay exhausted, panting, waiting, waiting. The hours crawled on. I was almost dozing from fatigue when I saw a sight that brought me too fast. <laughs> Would you like to come in, my beauty? Would you? I hold the powers of life and death, and I can let you in with all. August was standing by the glass, and in one hand he held a wrench. He was tapping the glass gently, not quite hard enough to break it. I eased myself to my feet, and slowly, very slowly, tiptoed toward him. All I have to do is tap just a little harder Ooh. as a... I found a coil of wire in the toolkit and I trussed him up, fastened him to a stanchion in the center of the room. Louis was of no help. He lay on his side looking at his bloody hand, weak and sick as a baby. So there I was, a lunatic and a coward for company and all about watching our little drama, The Rats. The day dragged by. The supply boat wasn't due for another 12 days. I don't know what they could have done if they had come. We had only one way of summoning them, and that was to shoot off distress rockets, but the rockets were four floors below. And even if they'd been right there in the gallery, I couldn't have opened a window to fire them. That night, I tended the light, but its flame was devouring our oxygen. The following day, we lay, thirst-tormented, starving, waiting, waiting, and the following night, I again tended the light, but the small supply of spare wicking we kept in the gallery had become exhausted and 
quite suddenly, about midnight, the light went out. There's nothing I could do. Wicks was stored three levels below. Nothing I could do. Nothing. From time to time, I'd strike a match to see the clock. When I did, it lit up the million red eyes about us. All about us. Watching. Waiting. Below, it had grown quiet. They'd cleaned us out, and now they, too, were waiting. All waiting. And then, the rats, quite suddenly, were silent. And then I heard it. And then I saw the sky and the stars. The rats were gone. I went to the glass. Out there on the water, a small freighter, a banana boat, showing a few lights, came softly and innocently at us. The light was out. They didn't know. I wanted to open the windows to call out to them, to warn them somehow, but... I was afraid. What if, what if the rats were hiding from me, tricking me? So I waited. She grounded very softly on a reef not 200 yards from the quay. Grounded so gently that the man playing the cornet, was he a passenger or crewman off watch, didn't even stop playing. They tried washing her back off. I could have told them to save their fuel, but tide was rising, would have floated her free. And I waited. That's all. That's the story. The sun came up and there wasn't a rat on the whole key. Every last one of that terrible army had left us, gone back to sea on their new ship. August, insane asylum, he never recovered. And Louis, they took him into Cayenne where he died of blood poisoning from his vice. Uh, oh, yes. Well, that's the whole of it. If you'll excuse me now, I must go set my traps. No, no mouse traps. No rats in this lighthouse, I should say not. Life in the lights isn't bad. But sometimes when I see a strange vessel approaching, I get a little nervous, sure. Somewhere on the seas, there's a little banana boat without a crew. That is, without a human crew. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Tonight we have presented Three Skeleton Key by George Tadeus, adapted for radio by James Poe and starring Vincent Price as Jean. Supporting Mr. Price were Harry Bartell as August and Jeff Corey as Louis. Sound effects on Three Skeleton Key, created by Cliff Thorsness and executed today by Mr. Thorsness, Gus Bays, and Jack Sixsmith, have been awarded the best of the year by Radio and Television Life magazine. 
Harry Essman was at the control panel, and special music was arranged and conducted by Del Castillo. Next week... You are swimming for your life in the dangerous waters off the Florida Gulf Coast, about to be smashed by a launch carrying a vicious criminal who must kill you or die himself. And on shore 500 yards away, the police are waiting to arrest you for murder. And there can be no escape. Next week, we escape with an exciting tale of temptation and death on the Gulf Coast of Florida as John and Gwen Bagney tell it in Danger at Matagumba. Goodbye, then, until the same time next week when once again we offer you Escape. A patch of weeds, a boxer's biography, and a mild, lukewarm bath. They're all clues that lead the police of Jackson, Michigan, to a killer in the gangbuster story on CBS this Saturday night. It's the case of the double push to be heard on most of these same CBS stations this Saturday night. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That does it for Mr. Bella Lugosi, Mr. Boris Karloff, and Mr. Vincent Price in the Monsters Tell the Story. Hope you guys have enjoyed it. Please stay tuned as we continue Spooktober this coming Friday with bringing back Mr. Bob Hope to the program. And then stay tuned for next Tuesday night as we welcome to the show Miss Elsbeth Eric and another performance. And it is going to be called this, The Grim Reaper Meets the Sandman. I hope you guys have enjoyed my podcast you can listen to it now available on spotify google apple podcast addict Castbox, and wherever else you get your podcast i am also available on your google and alexa devices just ask google you would like to listen to the mystery and comedy old time radio podcast and the same thing with your Alexa device. And it should pull my podcast right up. I want to thank everybody who has subscribed and listened to my podcast from day one. I really do appreciate it, guys. Just please be patient and bear with me as I do my research for these next couple weeks. And stay tuned for next Friday's performance and Saturday's performance as we celebrate Halloween with two Halloween episodes. The first one is going to be the Dracula performance and then the second one for Saturday night for Halloween night is going to be the Frankenstein all-time radio show. I hope you guys 
have a great night and a great day. And thanks once again.